the reality is we haven't done marriage very well in America. And we also have not done marriage well even in the church. When you look at the statistics, everybody's heard them. I'm not going to go through them, but I will point out most marriages these days have to really, really fight in order to keep from divorce. And as you look at those numbers on the screen, you realize these are numbers that are real and affect probably every single family one way or another in this room. We haven't done marriage well. Likewise, many of our parents did not do marriage well. So as you think about that, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of a blueprint or template did you lay down for the next generation? Because if we look back at the last two, what we see is we've had some problems. Frankly put, most people are not viewing marriage the way God does. There's, there's several different views out there. You've got some folks that would say, like the Catholic denomination, marriage is all about church law. Well, guess what? It's not. Then you've got a, a society out there saying, well, it's really about secular law, and our government should, should be able to make all kinds of changes to, to who can get married. But again, I would say it's not about secular law. It's about divine law. Because who instituted marriage? God did. Now, I recognize right up front that not everybody in this room is married. And I realize that we got all ages. But I want to make sure you understand, in one form or fashion, this message should apply to you. Because if you're a Christian, let me ask you this. Who is the bride and who is the groom concerning the church? you're in a relationship. Not just that, you also have other relationships in your life, whether it be friends, whether it be family. So while I'm going to be talking specifically about marriage, I want you, whatever stage in life you're at, to hopefully be able to apply some of these principles to it. What we're going to talk about is how to have a storybook marriage. Because again, as I started out saying, we haven't done marriage well in the past. Now, I do need to give two real quick disclaimers. Number one, I know there's lots of people in this room that have been married much, much longer than I have. And I should be sitting at their feet. So I would humbly say, you know, if you got advice, comments, catch me in the foyer. I am very, very happy to listen to anything you've got to say. The second disclaimer is this, I could not do what I do without the support of my wife. She is kind of the the bedrock foundation for our family that allows me to get out and do what I do. Now, with those two disclaimers aside, here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to work our way through this storybook, chapter by chapter, seeing if we can't build and improve our relationships. Chapter one, I simply titled reality. If, if I were to go around and ask each and every one of you, how long did it take before you recognize what you thought marriage would be like versus what it really is like? You know, some of you, you learn real quick. Wait a second, this isn't what I was thinking it would be like. Some of you got into it thinking it would be more like a, 
a Hollywood soap opera kind of thing, and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, you know, things have changed. In fact, there's some of you men in this room, you did not recognize when you first got married that there's a correct way and a wrong way to squeeze a toothpaste. Or you didn't know that there's a right way and a wrong way to put the toilet paper on the little holder. You see, reality sets in very quickly, and all of a sudden, what we realize is, I'm in a relationship with somebody, and things have changed. Let me give you a prime example. Some of you men in this room, you probably remember when you were dating your wife, she would get all dressed up, and she would put on makeup and and that fine dress and those high heel shoes, and you'd go out to nice restaurants, and yet you look at her today, and those shoes have changed to something a little more comfortable, right? Things change. Likewise, ladies, you may remember back when your husband was courting you, you know, he would put the top down, you'd drive around town, run your fingers through his hair, and yet, lo and behold, things have changed. Folks, what I need you to understand is the reality of marriage is that there's some of you in this room right now who are still waiting for your spouse to to transform into that Cinderella or or that Prince Charming. And some of you in this room, your, your fairy tale, quite literally, has turned into a nightmare. But what I want to make sure you hear me say is this. We hear all the time about investing in in Wall Street, stock market. I'm here to tell you this evening, it's time to invest in your marriage. Our kids have got far too much stuff. Let me just say that again to make sure you hear me. Our children and our grandchildren have got plenty of material things. What they need are parents who are investing in their marriage rather in more stuff. Why? Why would I say that? Because ultimately, if we do that, then we are bringing glory to God and we're giving them a pattern that they can use. Because think about it for just a moment. What would it be like if every single family in this room had a a firm foundation and the children that you guys were raising, when they walked down this aisle and said, I do... You had absolutely no concern that that marriage was going to be rock solid. And yet, here's the reality. Like it or not, there are probably marriages in this room right now that are on a very thin thread. In fact, some of you may have driven here tonight without speaking to each other. And so, one of the reasons that we're doing this is to give your marriage purpose, meaning hopefully to help heal some things, And also so that you can literally live happily ever after, even in eternity. So chapter 1, we have to understand reality is not what the world or Hollywood is trying to sell you. Chapter 2, what about the plan? Or what about his plan? If I were to ask you, what is the very first thing that God said was not good. 
Remember, you open up the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 31. Over and over and over, we read where God is pronouncing it good. And then we turn to Genesis chapter 2. And lo and behold, we discover that man was alone and it was not good. Genesis chapter 2, take a look with me at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So here we've got God instituting marriage. But I want to ask you this simple question. If you look at that passage, what is the therefore, therefore? And what I mean by that, Adam and Eve were the very first people to actually be joined as husband and wife. So what was that therefore? Therefore. Another way to read that word is for this reason. Well, let me share with you what I think is going on right here. God is not just instituting marriage. He's also instituting the family. And he's saying, for this reason, a man shall leave a family unit composed of a mom and a dad and be joined to his wife. And so... In Genesis chapter 2, we get the institution of marriage, we get family, we get God's plan. And yet, when we start looking at what is man's plan, folks, let's be honest. When you look at marriage from man's perspective, most of the time, it's for our own selfish desires. Or maybe it's for what somebody can do for you, or Or maybe we're thinking about this evolutionary aspect of just spreading our genes. Again, let me remind you, marriage wasn't invented by man. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal because what that means is the architect of marriage is the guy who gets to define it. So every time I hear somebody say, well, you know, we we need to legalize same-sex marriage, I'm thinking, wait, time out just a second. We didn't institute it. We don't have the authority to do that. Because again, marriage is not a secular law, it's a divine law. If you've got a Bible, flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Take a look with me, starting in verse 14. Where Paul said, Therefore I desire that younger widows, notice this, marry, bear children, manage or guide the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Okay, so Paul, what are you saying? I'm saying that there's a divinely laid down order that we're wanting these young widows to follow. You marry first. Then you bear children and you manage or guide the house. Folks, let me point out, in America today, we got that divine order all kinds of messed up. We got to get back to his plan. We've got to start looking at one another, not through the lens of what society says, but rather through the Bible. So let's start with the guys. Guys, how many of you out there understand that you have truly been entrusted with a daughter of God, somebody who is extremely special, and as such, how are you treating her? Likewise, ladies. Your husband is one day going to give an account for you. Are are you making his job easier 
or harder. I, I know that anytime a, a preacher, a teacher stands up and he starts talking about wives submitting to your husbands, you know what happens? The hair on the back of, of some lady's necks just kind of stands up and all of a sudden they're clenching their fists and they're gritting through their teeth like this. And if you think you guys are bad, think about the next generation. They're even worse about it. And yet, I want every lady in this room, from this day forward, here's what I want you to think about. When you hear a a teacher or a preacher utter those words, I want you to inwardly grieve for your husband. Because he's the one that's going to have to give an account, not you. So when you hear that word, wives, submit to your husband, I want you to recognize the fact that In a way, you're kind of getting a pass. And it's your husband who's going to have to bow his knee in front of Almighty God. What we need to understand is is marriage is basically a a reflection of Christ in the church. And so through our marriage, one of the things that we should be learning about is unconditional love. We don't love one another because of the casserole that she can make, or or the fact that he can check off all the the things on his honeydew list. We're supposed to love each other the way Christ loves the church. So think with me this evening, is your love for your spouse dependent on his or her actions towards you? Because I don't think anybody in this room wants Jesus Christ love towards us in that same fashion. I'm going to read to you a poem. I admit right up front, I'm not a poem guy, okay? This is a a poem. It's called Marriage Takes Three. It was written by Peter Tanksley. My wife and I actually had it read at our wedding. Take a look at what it says. I once thought marriage took just two to make a go, but now I'm convinced it takes the Lord also. And not one marriage fails where Christ is asked to enter as lovers come together with Jesus at the center. In homes where Christ is first, it's obvious to see those unions really work. For marriage still takes three. Everybody in this room has seen couples who have said I do and then just a few short years or maybe even months later we start hearing rumblings of how their relationship is starting to to crumble. I would suggest to you part of the reason why their relationship is crumbling is because it was not founded on this right here. Because you see, when you've got two people that come down the aisle and they've got a solid faith and they believe in God and they are active Christians, yeah, they're going to occasionally argue And there may even be little hurdles in their marriage. But if they are truly committed to one another and to God, they can withstand it. Chapter 3. It's broke. It's time to fix it. I think if you guys were honest with me this evening, most of you would admit the fact that most of the marriages we see in the church, they don't reflect happy Christians. Here's what I mean by that. If I were to ask you, quick, name ten couples 
that exude a happy marriage and influence people towards Christ, you realize most of you would probably have trouble naming five? Think about that for just a minute. If you have trouble naming ten couples, then think about what examples are your children seeing from this room right here. That's how serious it is. I mean, here's what our kids see. They, they see people who, who basically, one will sit on that end of the pew and the other may sit on this end. Or you sit so far apart, it looks like maybe one of you's got Ebola and you don't want to catch it. And so they hear us from the pulpit saying, stay pure until marriage, keep yourself pure. And yet they look around the room and it's like they're seeing people who look like they're miserable and they think, why do I want to have anything to do with that? So I'm going to ask you the the $64,000 question. Some of you remember there was a game show called the $64,000 question. It was always at the end. I'm kind of moving it towards the beginning because I want you thinking about this throughout this lesson. Here's the question. Does your love for your spouse bring other people closer to Jesus Christ? Let me repeat that. Does your love for your spouse Bring other people closer to Jesus Christ. And by that I mean your actions, your words, your attitude. Is it drawing people closer to Jesus Christ? Because the reality is, there's a a lot of, of folks in Winchester, Tennessee. You want to know what the only sermon that they're really going to hear? They're not going to attend a worship setting like this, this coming Sunday. Instead, the only sermon they will hear is between two Christians sitting at a table as they wait on them as a waiter or waitress. Does your love for your spouse bring other people closer to Christ? What do I mean by that? Well, what type of of attitude are you really showing? What words do you use? Guys, let me tell you, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, that's a pretty tough one. In fact, in my studies of the Bible, that's in the top 10 of really, really difficult things. Let me just point out to you. Bible says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I don't know of anybody, any male, who's hit that mark yet. I know some guys who honestly are trying but I don't know of any of us that have actually hit that point yet. Also, ladies, you look at Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Older women are to admonish the younger women to love their husbands. Okay, let's, let's stop and think about that for just a minute. Older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands. You know what that means? That means that there may be a time where you don't love your spouse where it's not all about the fuzzy feelings. So maybe one of the things that we need to be passing on to our younger generation is, it's not all about the warm, fuzzy feelings, but rather there is a teaching process that even when he leaves all of his clothes on the floor for the thousandth time, you still love him. 
what our kids need to see and what they need to go to bed every single night knowing is that their parents have built their marriage on a rock-solid foundation. And not worrying about, is mom and dad, are they going to be together tomorrow? Is one of them leaving? One of them going to pack up? Because at that point, then they've got something that they can start patterning their marriage after. Now, I realize some of you are looking at me going, what do you mean lead people to Jesus through my marriage? Folks, let me point out to you, we're supposed to lead people to Jesus Christ through every aspect of our life. Amen? Including our marriage. And so, as you think about it, we should be glorifying God through our marriage. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You'll see me get fired up. Let me hear you disparage marriage or or talk about that old ball and chain. That'll get me a little fired up. You know why? Because it was God who instituted what you're ridiculing. So if your children are hearing you disparage marriage or or talk negatively about it, folks, we got to rethink that. As I said, it's broke, it's time to fix it. Now, if I were to go around the room and ask each and every one of you, what do you think is one area where your, your marriage is suffering? You know what the number one answer is? Time. We just don't have the time. We've got to be at work. We've got to drop the kids off at these sports games and practices. And we've got band rehearsal. And we've got all these things. And as a result, most of us are absolutely exhausted. And by the end of the day, all we're wanting to do is just crash. Well, again, let me encourage you. Invest in your marriage. In fact, the elder's probably going to kick me for saying this one. There's your homework. Find an activity that you can give up. Because folks, Satan has done a tremendous job of convincing us we got to be busy all the time. And right now we're so busy that it's actually hurting our marriages. The reason I say the elders are probably going to kick me, you'll notice in my list up here I say, give up soccer, bunco, golf, karate, playgroup, even church activities, like maybe the visitation group. It does your children absolutely no good for you to be involved in every single church activity if your marriage is suffering. Better for you to focus on one or two and give it 100% and have a firm foundation marriage rather than you be involved in seven or eight activities and basically you see each other like passing ships in the night. There's your homework. By the way, I also like to tell younger parents, your bedroom door's got a lock on it. It's not against the law to use that lock occasionally. And the reason I say that, you know, unless your child is like six months old and and you do need to tend to them 24-7, please understand it's okay for mom and dad to have adult conversation without Barney playing on the TV screen behind you, right? There are times where we need to get away, and that's okay. Now, with that mindset in place, what we can do 
is we can now move on to actually look at the foundation of our marriage. Chapter 4, I titled Foundations. Subtitle, Throw Norm Out the Window. If I went around the room and asked each and every one of you, how did you get here? Meaning, how did you, how did you meet your mate? It would actually be kind of fun just to listen to all the different stories. It's one of the, the questions that my wife loves to ask when we go out to eat with people. That must be like a, a lady thing. You know, I don't see too many guys going, hey, how'd you meet your spouse? But it is kind of fun because you've got everything from high school sweethearts to these days people are meeting online. It's interesting to me, most of you in this room, if I went around and asked, do you remember back when you were courting and dating? drive throughs maybe going to a hamburger stand. I think everybody here probably remembers that. But if I were to ask you this question, is dating in our current culture, I'm not talking about when you did it, I'm talking about in 2016, is that a healthy thing for Christian young people? As you think about that, consider this for just a moment. Is it time that we maybe reanalyze how our children meet one another? Because the reality is we have adopted a very worldly perspective on dating. You say, Brad, what do you mean? I've asked hundreds and hundreds of young people in the church, what is dating really for? You know what they finally will admit to you? It is a means for sexual activity. Well, last time I checked, the Bible pretty much says that's wrong. Premarital sex, fornication is wrong. So why would we then be supporting something that we know is wrong? By the way, you know what most dating is all about? It's about what I want. It's about self. So think with me for just a moment. What we're training our children to do is to find somebody who is fulfilling my needs. So what happens when my needs are not fulfilled? I'm done with them. I find somebody else. My wife jokingly calls dating divorce practice, and she's probably kind of right. When you really think about it, you know, this one doesn't give me what I want anymore. I'm done with it. So what we've got to do is we've got to start looking at what we're teaching our children is the real foundation for marriage. It's not all about instant gratification here and now, but rather it's about getting ourselves and our spouses to heaven. Because here's the reality. I've done some marriage counseling with people, and it's interesting to me how many young people in their 20s, they walk down the aisle, and they really do think it's, it's going to be all about, you know, rose petals on the bed and... and soap opera type thing, and I'm sitting here scratching my head going, wait a second, time out. I don't watch soap operas. Let me make sure you really understand that. But I've seen enough commercials to wonder how it is, how do those women wake up in bed with makeup on, hair's not out of place, they never have to go to work, they don't go to the bathroom, they just lay around their house all the time. Folks, that, that is not reality. And yet, here's my fear. 
if our kids are walking down this aisle thinking, hey, it's going to be like that, and it's all about them and pleasing them, now what we got to do is we got to throw that out the window. Because the reality is, rose petals, they're nice, but life happens. You know, I dare say everybody in this room who's been married for more than five years, you have experienced real life, meaning something has broke down when you really, really didn't want it to, or somebody's gotten sick when it really, really wasn't convenient. And so think with me, what happens if Everything is determined by external happiness. And whether or not things are rosy, all of a sudden, your marriage is not in as good a shape as you thought it was. So what does that mean? Take a look. On the screen, I've got a foundational stone that most of you in here, like it or not, you probably laid this as your foundational stone. And that is, relationships are about self and about looks, what we got to do is we got to get rid of that particular stone. And we got to relay a better stone. And that, that chief foundational stone is about getting you and your spouse to heaven. Not only do you need to get rid of the other one for your marriage, you need to make sure your children understand this is the cornerstone for their marriage. Because when you start laying that as your foundation, then your whole view about marriage changes. Suddenly, it's not a disposable thing that you can just get rid of if your needs are not being met. But rather, it's like that that fine crystal that you're going to take care of. So, no matter how you got to the point where you are today, some of you have been married 50 years, some of you have been married 30 years, Some of you have only been married a few years. No matter how you got here, you can fortify the foundation of your relationship. Chapter 4 summary. It's time for Christians re-examine the purpose of marriage. It's time to take a moment to reflect on the foundation of your marriage. Ask yourself how often you put your spouse's needs and desires ahead of your own. Chapter 5. I titled Death in the Family. Now, we live in the South. We believe that one of the ways you, you cure things is you feed each other to death, right? So if somebody dies, we take them what? Food. If somebody gets married, we do what? Take them food. If somebody has a baby, we do what? Take them. See a pattern? But the death I'm talking about right here is death to self. If you truly want a good marriage, then what you have to do is you have to go against what the culture is currently telling you. Right now, the culture is telling you it's all about you, what you deserve and what you should have. And I'm telling you, put yourself to death. And then you'll have an amazing marriage. Our kids are going to have a big problem with this. You know why? According to most studies, they are the most narcissistic generation ever raised on the planet. Now think about that for just a minute. We got this group of young people who are coming up who think so highly of themselves, and yet what 
they really need to be doing is putting themselves to death. Putting their spouse's desires and wants ahead of their own. Because ask yourself this question. What are some specific things you've done in the last week or two to show your spouse how you feel about them? I threw some examples on the screen just, just for fun. Guys, believe it or not, you really can change the toilet paper roll. There's like this spring thing in there. Do the laundry, cook his or her favorite meal, make needed repairs, let him or her take a nap, plan a special night, wash his or her car, do the dishes, write a note, save some extra money, come home early, clean up. You know, little things that don't take much, but that actually show the person, I'm thinking about you. But let's be honest for a second. We don't do this. You know how I know we don't do this? Because we've been trained to keep a checklist. And most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have this mental checklist where we're comparing what the other person has done. And so, let me give you a scenario. Husband comes home. Wife is cooking a meal. Husband goes over in the recliner, kicks it back, flips on the TV, and all of a sudden the wife is like, I cannot believe that. He just, here I am, he saw me preparing this meal, and he, he's asleep. And so in her mind, here's what she's doing. She's got a checklist. She thinks, well, I've cooked out, cleaned house, that's good for five points. Cooked meals, that's good for five. Care for the children, that's 15. Went grocery shopping, that's good for five. Iron clothes, that's good for five. I did laundry, that's She's sitting there, she's got 45 points. She looks at Sluggo over here, thinks he went to work, he's got five, fix it. He's only got seven points. And yet, here's the husband. He walks into the house. He looks at his wife, and he's thinking, well, I had to fight the morning commute, that's good for five. Had to catch up on some work correspondence, that's good for five. Met with a work committee. Resolved some work issues, that was good for 10. Met some deadlines for a project. Stopped by the hardware store to get parts for the toilet. Spent 50 minutes working. He walks in the house, he's thinking, I got 45 points. He looks at his wife, he thinks, well, she's a homemaker. That's probably good for five. Maybe she planted some flowers. She's only got seven. So when she hits 45, I'll get up and help her. Folks, we got to get rid of the checklist. In fact, Here's what I'm telling you. On that foundational stone of helping your spouse get to heaven, we put another stone there, and that stone is that your actions show your love for your spouse. Because I promise you, if they see it, then all of a sudden attitudes are going to start changing at home. So, Chapter 5 summary, lose the checklist, strive to do more for your spouse, seek out ways to help them, become less me-oriented, and become more we-oriented. Chapter 6, get busy together. I subtitled this one, Check Your Vision. Now, you can't talk about marriage without at least touching on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you got your Bible, open it up there. This is the famous love chapter. I'm going to read it. While I read it, here's what I want you to do. As I read it, I want you to insert 
your name every place where I mention the word love. Paul says, starting in verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Is that the kind of love that we are not only building in our relationships, but we're also teaching our children? Because otherwise what our kids are going to get is something called infatuation. It's like a, a, a firework, man. It, it, you light it and it burns brightly and then it does what? It fades away. Our kids need to see action that demonstrates love and they need to occasionally hear us tell one another, I love you. And notice what I didn't say. I, I didn't say, men, that you're supposed to tell your wife you're a clean person or... or you're beautiful and wrinkle-free, okay? There is a difference in saying your breath smells so good in the morning versus I love you. As human beings, we occasionally need to hear those words. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but you don't know my spouse. You don't know how he or she nags me. You don't know how they get on my nerves. And Okay, what I'm telling you this evening is you have to look past all the, the warts and the moles and look at their soul. You see, when God designed marriage, He is allowing two people to be intimate in, in, in ways that nobody else will ever know them. That means you know all of their good things and their bad things. And if what you're doing is taking a magnifying glass to every negative thing they do, then it tells me you're not really looking at their soul. You're just focusing on their imperfections. And let me tell you, if all you're focusing on is externals, they're going to be problems. Because if you're focusing on her externals as being bad, then it doesn't take a, a really far leap for you to start looking at somebody else their externals, and think they're better. Take a look, Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. This is talking about the marriage of Jesus and His church. And I think everybody in here recognizes that hasn't happened yet, right? And as such, our marriages should reflect that. Because there's a lot of people in Winchester the only picture they're going to get of what we just read is through a Christian husband and wife. 
By the way, let me point out, Jesus Christ would never cheat on His bride, the church. Amen? We're to follow suit. I, I subtitled this chapter, Check Your Vision. Now, when you think about that, what is your vision for your marriage? You see, your vision should be between two of you. The Bible uses words like help me, somebody who is, is suitable. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him or suitable for him. And so we're basically... Uh, we're, the way i teaching my children is, you're on the same team. So what's the vision for your team? As soon as husband and wife recognize we're on the same team and we've got the same goal, there may still be bumps along the way, but you recognize ultimately we're working together. And yeah, we may have miscommunicated over here. Or we may have had some some little hiccups right here, but we're on the same team and we want the same end goal. You say, Brad, I, we, you know, we, we don't really even have a vision. Okay, let me point out to you. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. Now, I'm going to throw an example of what I'm talking about on the screen. And this by no means is... A perfect vision. This is just something my wife and I have kind of gone through. We've actually divided ours up into two areas. Under spiritual matters, our very first goal is to get our family to heaven. It's to support a work to help others teach others about God. It is a family work. Number three, we want to grow spiritually every week. We, we don't want to plateau off. We don't want to get stagnant. Under earthly matters, We've chosen to educate our children at home. It works great for us for what I do for a living. Number two, <laughs> we'd love to one day be debt-free. That's a long-term goal. And number three, we want to build our forever home. That is a, a home where our children are raised, where they've got memories so that when they bring grandchildren over, they can say, see that tree right there? That's the one I fell out of when I was 11 years old. Almost broke my arm. You see that hill right there? That, that's where mom and dad used to take a sledding. So that there's a foundation of love, support. So from this day forward, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what is your vision that you're working towards together? By the way, men... As a spiritual leader in your home, you need to sit down and talk with your wife about what your vision is. Notice this. This requires communication. So you got to turn off your phone. Why would I say that? I say that because our wives get a lot of their input from our behavior, from what they see, not just what they hear. So if you're thinking, all right, I'll just text her and say, what, what do you want our vision to be? That's not good enough. Everybody in this room has probably sent a text or an email that was received wrongly. And by that I mean somebody didn't really understand the tone with which you sent it. And so here's what we got to do. We got to start communicating better. 
face-to-face, where we can actually read each other's demeanor, their tone, and understand what is important to you. Because you may be feeding off a vision, thinking, well, yeah, this is definitely going to be important to both of us, and you learn, oops, that's not quite as important to him or her. You ask a counselor, what is one of the one main things that kills marriages? Poor communication. How often do you sit down face to face and talk about things other than the children and bills? Chapter 6 summary. Develop a clear vision for you and your spouse to get to heaven. Make sure you communicate on a regular basis. I put in parentheses, without children around, so that both husband and wife know what the goal is and how you aim to achieve it. The last chapter in our book, celebrate your differences. We are different. Amen? Men and women, we're different. Isn't it interesting, though? God knew what Adam needed. You see, we are different. But instead of trying to change each other, what we need to do is learn to celebrate those differences. And we need to accept each other's strengths and weaknesses. Your spouse has strengths you don't have. And instead of you trying to remold or shape them into the little box you want them to be in, maybe you ought to remind yourself that's the way God made them. And instead of letting that irritate me or get mad, maybe I ought to be celebrating that. I love this slide right here. The glory of man was that woman was created for him. The glory of woman was that man was incomplete without her. We need each other. Now, when I say different, we got differences all over. Whether we're talking mental and emotional differences, whether we're talking physical differences, whether we're talking sexual differences, men and women have a lot of differences. That's what we need to think about embracing. I know a lot of you sitting out there may be thinking, hey, wait a second, Brad, you don't understand because my spouse doesn't meet all my needs. Well, maybe that's because Jesus Christ wants you to understand He's the only thing that can really fit all of your needs. So maybe you got this person who, yeah, they have some faults and they don't meet every single one of your needs. And they serve as a reminder to you that there is a God and that you've got a Savior named Jesus Christ who took care of every single one of your needs. I I could go through all of these. I'm going to leave you with one slide just just to basically show you one of the main differences. And I really, I probably ought to just walk through here right now, take a $20 bill from every man in this room, Because I'm about to show you how your wife's brain works, okay? And that's worth a whole lot if you really think about it. Guys, a wife's brain looks kind of like that right there. At any given time, she may have 5, 10, 15 pop-up windows, okay? So you may walk home and go in the door and she starts telling you what you're having to eat and, and about the time you start salivating, she's telling you about Aunt Sally being in the hospital. About the time you get around to Aunt Sally, she's talking and pointing at ants on the floor. And you, 
the whole time you're just trying to play catch up. Ladies, here's what I need you to understand. Guys, we open up one window, we fix it, and then we close it. And then we pull up another window. Now, sometimes guys have really slow processors, and so we bring up one window really slowly, and we think about it a little bit, and we think about how to fix it. And finally, we might get around and we fix it and close it. You're already three boxes away. Here's what I want you to understand, guys. Hold on for the ride, okay? Because that's how God made them. It's not a bad thing. What you need to do, though, okay? I I had one brother say, well, sounds to me like I need to get one of them things that reduces pop-up windows. I said, no, 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 no. What you need to do is love your spouse for who they are. This evening, we talked a little bit about how to have a storybook marriage. And again, I don't know where you are in your walk, but I hope and I pray that you will leave here tonight thinking about some of the things that we've talked about. And even if you just try one area to draw a little bit closer to your spouse, it's going to be worth it to me.